0: Hello and welcome to The Lancet podcast. Richard Lane here on Friday, April the 23rd. This week's podcast is a themed podcast concerning malaria because April the 25th, 2010 is World Malaria Day. To discuss that and some malaria-themed content in this week's issue, I'm delighted to be joined by Pam Daz. Welcome, Pam. Hi, Richard. Let's kick off with World Malaria Day this year. What is the theme and why is 2010 so important?
1: The theme this year is Counting Malaria Out. 2010 is a milestone year for malaria control. Ten years ago in Nigeria, the Abuja Declaration was set where countries signed up to ensure universal coverage with all anti-malarial interventions. There were certain coverage targets that needed to be reached and to reduce malaria deaths by half. So... There's just now over 257 days left to meet the challenge that the UN set.
0: Thanks, Pam. And moving to some of the content, let's look just briefly, first of all, at what looks like an important research article. This is a drug trial, isn't it?
1: That's right. This is a phase three randomized controlled trial. It's in children and in adults with uncomplicated falciparum malaria. And they're treated with the current gold standard treatment, which is Coartem. Coartem is artimitha lumafantrin, and this was trialled against this new regimen, which is pyronorodine artanucinate which is a new artemisinin combination. It was developed by a public-private partnership between Shinpung Pharmaceutical Company, a Korean company, and the Medicines for Malaria venture. Interestingly, what this study showed, that this new combination had a treatment response of 99.5% compared to 99.2% amongst the patients who took the coartum, the gold standard. So here we have another malaria treatment which is just as good as the gold standard of Coartem. And what's really good about it is that this drug needs to only be taken just once daily compared to Coartem which needs to be taken twice a day. So this obviously simplifies the um, compliance and makes it easier for patients to take and stick to.
0: That sounds very encouraging, Pam. Also, just briefly mention, there's a seminar, and this is focusing specifically on malaria among children, which is obviously particularly relevant because the majority of malaria is occurring in children. Isn't that right?
1: That's right. More than 80% of cases globally occur in children younger than five years of age, certainly in sub-Saharan Africa. So it is a major problem. This seminar by Francis Nosten and colleagues is um, covers the epidemiology, the pathophysiology, diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of malaria in children.
0: And of course, Pam, we comment about malaria in the long editorial this week. You just want to mention some of the things that the editorial is calling for.
1: The editorial is a is a nice review of where we are at malaria currently. The main point of the editorial discusses the call for a malaria vaccine because we've got bed nets, we've got drugs and from recent reports it does look like there's encouraging news to support the access to nets and drugs but ultimately if we're really going to tackle malaria we do need a vaccine. The editorial states this and calls for greater commitment especially by the pharmaceutical industry to Support not only their personal pledge with with Gates for a strategy towards a malaria vaccine, but really step up the funds and step up the commitment. As the editorial says, we cannot afford to wait a further 20 years for the next generation of vaccines. It really is now that we need to show more ambition and accountability.
0: Pam, one other important issue aside from... The vaccine development, which you've just mentioned, must be, of course, to be uh, prepared for or to try and avoid the issue of drug resistance, because that became a big story last year uh, in Asia, didn't it?
1: That's right. That's a threat that could undermine all the efforts and progress we've made with malaria. Last year, in the Thai-Cambodian border, there was detection of artemisinin resistance. As soon as This emergence was detected, the WHO, the Cambodian and Thai Malaria Programmes, Malaria Consortium and other partners, together with uh, a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, have supporting containment strategy, which they're currently conducting right now. But obviously the big issue is if that artemisinin resistance was to spread, especially in sub-Saharan Africa, it would be a public health catastrophe. And this is a subject that has raised by Ambrose Talasuna, in the profile in this week's issue, where Ambrose is obviously very concerned. Um, He reflects upon chloroquine, which in a very similar way, spread very quickly like wildfire through East Africa, and um, led to huge problems. Ambrose also states, quite interestingly, about access to drugs, and he makes a, a quite a strong point that in the World Malaria Report that came out recently, access to artemisinin's is still only 16%. It's nowhere near the 80% target.
0: Sorry, 16.16%. Yeah, Yeah.
1: nowhere near the 80% target. And this he puts down to rampant stockouts, which is essentially the unavailability of drugs. And this is due to bureaucratic problems, corruption, pharmaceutical companies not delivering on their promises. And it's a really big problem. He does say that only one in four health facilities has drugs. And it is really very shameful. Interestingly, this weekend, a new pilot initiative is being launched in Tanzania. It's called SMS for Life, and it's an initiative to monitor stockouts and keep supplies of essential malaria treatments rolling into district health clinics. It's innovative. It's using telephone technology, SMS, texting, mapping, um, supported by IBM, Novartis, Vodafone and the Rollback Malaria programme. It really is a sort of very innovative and very global collaboration. And it's rolling out nationally in Tanzania soon and there's great interest by neighbouring countries. So obviously, that if that proves to be successful, that will certainly be able to tackle the, the stock out problem.
0: Thanks, Pam. And also, do you want to just mention briefly... another interesting view in a viewpoint. It's not in the issue but it's published online to coincide with this week's malaria themed issue.
1: It's a a viewpoint looking back as well as looking forward from the Abuja declaration which I mentioned before. 2010 is obviously uh, 10 years from when that declaration was set and this viewpoint looks back and uh, reflects on the global malaria eradication programme going back to 1955. Then looks forward at some of the challenges that lie ahead obviously the interest recently over the last few years has been around malaria elimination and these authors describe uh, the basis for this ambitious goal but also express some caution about whether we should be going full steam ahead into eliminating and actually put forward a case for why we shouldn't which is interesting Later this year, we're doing a series on malaria elimination. So this is a collaboration between The Lancet and MEG, the Malaria Elimination Group, which is headed by Richard Feacham at the University of California. And we're going to produce a series of papers in November, which is looking at the feasibility of elimination, the practical and financial challenges, looking at some of the countries which have started eliminating and the progress, and basically providing a roadmap for the years ahead.
0: Well, we look forward to that, and no doubt we'll be discussing that on the podcast later this year, Pam. So would it be fair, in summary, to say, certainly in terms of what the Lancet editorial is saying, clearly, as you've mentioned, the key, key aim over the next few years must be the development of an effective vaccine. And secondly, that another important message coming out from authors of some of the papers as well is that the funding, the the recent additional funding that malaria has got must be sustained because otherwise there's a potential that the good work and some of the progress made over the past few years could, could disappear.
1: That's right, Richard. That is a very fair summary. I'd say without a vaccine, you know, all the efforts that we're putting into eliminating malaria and even eradication that some people are speaking about will be increasingly difficult and actually impossible. So we do first and foremost, need that vaccine. And secondly, funding, you're quite right. I mean, even though I've said funding was up substantially, we're still $6 billion short of the Global Malaria Action Plan recommendations. And the viewpoint also expresses this concern that we must continue to fund all the malaria programs and we need to ratchet up the funding because if we don't all the progress that we've done and that we're seeing will all be reversed.
0: Thanks Pam, a very sobering but I think a a very realistic way in which to end this special themed malaria podcast pegged to World Malaria Day April the 25th 2010. Many thanks Pam Daz and we look forward to discussing malaria again when we publish our series later this year. Thanks for listening, see you next time.